Yeah. Yeah. Draft day. Johnny Manziel. Five years later, how am I the man still? Draft day. A. Wiggins. That other side. We stay All right. winning. It's the Back Judge Podcast. Oh, We're you know moving away from positional you. groupings and getting a you nice little sleepers you. episode in for yeah. you here. It's Tommy Murray, Lee Murray, myself, Adam Clef, once again with that draft content. And. Last episode, we ended on a Cowboys argument between the Murray brothers. So uh, let's let's reopen the Okuda conversation, huh, Lee? Mm, gosh, we're not we're not going back into Off the mirror tape. room. It's the last thing I want to do. <laughs> we'll save we'll save that banter for the four way mock, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, I, I suppose so. We can go on to multiple minute diatribes about team fits and team building, I suppose, in a, in, a, in a later podcast. Um, that's what they call a, a tease in the business. But uh, like we said, today is Sleepers. Sleeper Station, as I once uh, penned an article on the back, Judge, uh, for some sleeper teams. We're going to go into some sleeper prospects. Um, I think each of us have, have three main sleepers that we just want to highlight. And then uh, perhaps the, the Murray brothers have a few guys that they want to sprinkle in as well. Um, but if you don't mind, I'll, I'd like to maybe kick this off here and... I don't know how much of a sleeper, quote unquote, this is because this is a guy who had a lot of buzz and had a you know pretty interesting college season, and that's uh, Lynn Bowden from from Kentucky. I just wanted to. I feel like we haven't really talked about him that much, and I still haven't seen a ton of stuff about him um, in you know the general media. But just a guy who I read a you know good ESPN article about him. Just seems like an ultra competitor. You know, went to play quarterback despite the fact that he probably is a wide receiver in the NFL just because he wanted his team to win football games. He was unbelievable as a quarterback in eight games last year in terms of just all-purpose yards. Had over 1,500 yards in, in eight games. Um, and just just a guy who I think if he goes to a team, and I, I feel like it's inevitable that people are going to be like, oh, Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill. Like, you can do the Taysom Hill things. And I don't, you know, want to maybe put him into that hole as much because I think he's a far better athlete than, than Taysom Hill is. But if he can go to a team with, with a smart offensive coordinator or just a team that is kind of set up already and knows what they're doing, I'm thinking like San Francisco maybe, you know, round four, a guy like Kyle Shanahan can get his hands on, on a guy like Bowden and, and get really creative with him. I think that he can have a, a nice little uh, NFL career and, and maybe just be a little bit more than, than people are kind of pegging him as, as this little gadget player. Club, I like that a lot. Yeah, Club. I was gonna say that's really interesting. And and PFF has him ranked as a quarter. Do you, how do you think? What do you think about his prospects as a, as a thrower in the NFL? Like just to make. Uh, no, no, there are none. No, I'll say that because I watched enough Kentucky football this year to know that when he came in at quarterback, he was a stud. But he they. The, the, their offense Even, completely changed. Yeah, like, any, he, any hopes of him like being like a Lamar Jackson? Mm. Lamar Jackson had much better throwing tape from college yeah. anyway. It's it's he was purely kind of like high school football athlete playing. You know, your best athlete plays quarterback. Yeah. Um, I mean, is, who's to say that he can't come in and make a few throws just to you know every once in a while? Sure, but um, any hopes of him being a quarterback is is not off the table in the NFL for sure. But uh, yeah, I, I just I think he's a really intriguing player. Again, I'd love to see him go to a to a team that already has a solid system in place and just can kind of find good ways to get him the football. Yeah, I guess I was just like I basically I don't want him to go to like Jacksonville. Yeah, I definitely see that, and I think San yeah. Francisco um, is a sneaky spot for a quarterback potentially a developmental thing. And I I mean I haven't watched a lot of Lynn Bowden, but I think you know that makes sense off of what you said, Adam. I guess I was just wondering. Is he even a threat, you know? So is he compared to like a punter if you're doing a fake punt? Like where does he rank uh, to like taste him? Like, you know how he's above a punter. Well, I know, yeah, but like I, I just meant like if you're going to use him as a gadget, Taysom Hill esque player, is he even, are you even going to trust him to like throw, throw the ball? I guess that was my, uh, you know. I mean, sure, but it's, I mean, it's not, he, I, I, he won't be a backup quarterback yeah, or anything. Okay. Like an emergency Joe Webb quarterback, maybe, but. Not he's not going to be a, a his his main thing in the NFL will not. Do be you think perfect. he could be like an RPO threat if you were to bring him in and like those type of packages? No, 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 no probably not. No, because you have to read defenses yeah. and get the yeah. No, all right, we can move on. I, the, 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 he's a very interesting player, though. I will say, um, <clears throat> I respect him and I know he's a competitor, but uh, in my weekly five, I, I bet on Kentucky a lot and. Uh, <laughs> 
there was there was an incredible goal line stand. It was Kentucky Tennessee this year, and you could tell I could tell in that little nugget in the goal line and Bowden, even though they didn't score in the four four downs, and then they got the ball again and got stuffed. Um, and I and I ended up losing the bet, but you could tell that Bowden was just a competitor in every play. They were trying to get him involved and get him. You know, he was clearly the guy they wanted. Uh, you know, making the making the important plays. So, um, I like that. I like that sleeper sleeper club. I think he's a pretty quintessential sleeper. You know, he he definitely fits that mold. Lee, why don't you throw one out here? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on offense and go to the offensive line and talk about a guy who really impressed me out of uh, the worst FBS football school, and that's the University of Connecticut. Um, Matthew Pert, their their right tackle this year, who I think could possibly have a future at left tackle. Um, a guy who I kind of got a sneak peek of it because I read it in his report, but some of the only gripe of that his coaches and teammates or have about him on the field is that he may be a little too nice. Um, you can see that he never really is looking to demolish anybody, but really doesn't lose a lot of battles and I think is a raw guy who could be a very valuable second round pick that could end up being a developmental player who could, you know, be a very steady starting right tackle in the NFL in the future, you know, once he polishes his game up a little bit. So watching him on tape, I think I watched two games on tape of him and I was really, he's smooth and and, and he's a big dude. And I think that there's definitely something to be said about a future there for him in the NFL. Lee, let me ask you, I guess, a question (laughs) leading off of that. And I know that, you know, you don't claim to be any sort of a, of a tackle savant uh, when, yeah. when, when watching film. But when you consider a guy like Matthew Pert who gets, you know, buzz, even potentially maybe slipping into day two if there is, you know, a heavy run on tackles, compared to a guy like Isaiah Wilson from Georgia who seems to be getting all this a ton of late buzz and is also, you know, mainly a right tackle, also somewhat raw um, on film and – but he seems to be sneaking into the first round, I guess, because he mm-hmm. went to Georgia and it's the SEC and yep. it's a little more you know, noticeable than a guy from UConn. Like, where do you think, and, and you know, I'm not, you don't have to compare the two or whatever, but just how do you think all that kind of plays into it? I think that's a really interesting question and kind of similar to so many conversations we've had during this draft process is what do you value and how do you, and how much do you value it? We have the book for the most part on Isaiah Wilson. He's six foot seven, three hundred fifty pounds around, and he held his own as a right tackle in the SEC, and will most likely be able to hold his own as a right tackle in the NFL. There's really, and Tommy checked me yesterday because I said, "Oh, maybe we can in our mock draft, maybe you can move Isaiah Wilson to left tackle." I, once you start thinking about that, I don't really know how much of a future there is for Isaiah Wilson. So, how are you gonna, you know, if you want to bring Pert into the conversation, there could be a future at left tackle for Pert. You may not be getting the dominance in the physical specimen right off the bat, which is why, hey, if you're trying to win now and you have that pick in range 25 to 38, maybe Wilson's your guy. But if you're looking to develop a little bit more, um, and, and a team like the Giants, I think, stands out for Matthew Pert. I don't know how much location matters, but he went to school pretty close by. Nate Solder's their left tackle right now. They need a right tackle. I think he could come in and start as a right tackle. I don't think he would be amazing, but I don't think he'd be Eric Flowers. I think he would be able to compete. And by the time Nate Solder is washed up and done, which is two years from now, uh, I would not be surprised if Matthew Pert very well was ready to take that step and become the left tackle. And if not, hey, that's fine. I think he can be a right starting right tackle and you draft your left tackle down the road. I just think that it might be a safer pick with Pert, um, all things considered. And with Wilson, is it's a guy who doesn't really have a – he does, he's a, he's a plug and play guy, and I don't really think there's much of a ceiling there with Wilson. I think you kind of are, are getting what I, you see. I don't. Um, I mean, I don't. I was going to say I don't know if that's exactly fair because I think Wilson is the ceiling. That's why he's getting first round buzz is because he's he's young. He's you know 350 pounds. He but also is the athlete that he is at that size. But I mean, I for the most I I do agree with you. And I think you know if you think Isaiah Wilson in the first round potentially to a team like Tennessee who just lost Jack Conklin, he has a hole at, at right tackle. They have Dennis Kelly there um, right now. Compared to, you know, Matthew Pert in the second or even third round, you know, to, to, you know, really prove the point even more versus Isaiah Wilson in the first, I think you take Pert every time just with that value and potentially who you could get at that, at that position. And, and I think that's kind of what you're trying to say. I think that kind of supports your argument and, and that's kind of my, my thinking as well. So I, I like the player as well. I haven't watched as much as you, but definitely uh, showed out. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm not going to sit here and try to say that I watched enough tape on Matthew Pert to have the book on him, but I'm just saying that he did impress me. I was, from the tackles I watched, I wasn't expecting him to be as smooth as he was. He did pleasantly surprise me on tape, which led me to believe that he'd be a good a good sleeper move. But, Tommy, you're on the clock. Yeah, definitely. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <clears> to <throat> stay with the, the, the small school uh, the small school player, and I'm going to take Alex Highsmith here as a sleeper. He, he's an edge player from Charlotte. Um, really came on this year. He's uh, 6'3", 248, ran a 4'7", 40, 33-inch vertical. So he's a really good athlete um, and had 14 sacks this past year for, for Charlotte, which is a D1 school. And Lee, Lee what, what division does Charlotte play in or what conference, I mean? Do you know? Is it? Uh, they're in the Sun Belt, yeah. I want to so, say. Sun Belt? So, yeah, group, is that, that's group of five, technically? Group of five football? Is that is that how you would classify that? Well, yeah, it's power, power five. five. So group, group, of five <laughs> group of five football. I just want it's like yeah. Appalachian State, you know, uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah. That, and and Highsmith was a guy who who really popped. I mean, against Clemson, uh, he, that was probably the stiffest competition he faced all year. It really dominated when he was playing. You know, the the competition in the Sun Belt. But against Clemson, you you kind of saw the traits. Even Dabo Sweeney said, um, I, I pulled up the the quote. The quote here from from Dabo, he said, "I kept watching Alex Highsmith and going and going. Holy cow, he looks like Xavier Thomas. He's a really good player. He's physical and fast. He's causing sacks and tips. They had a pick six against UMass that he caused and created. But a really good football player. He could play for anyone in the country. So, and this is the type of guy you're seeing Alex Highsmith, kind of in that early day three category, I think. But I think he's a guy who has tools and traits. And probably if he was a guy who went to Georgia or something like that, would." It might be a first round, uh, you know, first round pick, potentially second round pick. I'm thinking of a guy like Terrell Lewis, who is a toolsy edge player from Alabama, um, who didn't really have the production and had injury issues, and we're seeing him as a potential second round pick. So, Highsmith, I thought was was really impressive on tape, and he has production and also has tools and traits. Obviously, the production came at a little bit higher, uh, I mean, a lower level of competition, but uh, a, a player that I think could be a potential steal on day three. Yeah, the, you know, the old smaller school guy, it's always so, you know, difficult to um, project. And I remember one of my favorite, Derek Rivers, yep. uh, not exactly panning out Derek in the Rivers. NFL. But, uh, you know, when, Clep, you've had a couple too. Kamiko Ture, I, I yeah. remember, was no, one of your boys. Rutgers guys. So not, you know, Kamiko Ture. Terrell Basham yeah, Terrell was a big, Basham. I was a big Terrell Basham Terrell guy. Terrell Basham, that's so, it. So uh, if you'll, you'll notice with the rest of my list, I didn't delve back into the uh, defensive alignment from the smaller school. You're but, taking a but breather. Tommy, I, 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 you know, I commend you and. And wish you well Clap, on your journey. Clap, who was your dude? Were you on Zimenez last year? Or who was your? No, I was not. I, no, that was a uh, that was a classic. Uh, after the, Lee and I were doing a day two mock after round one, and I I was like, I think we should mock Zimenez to the Giants. Yeah. And and uh, and we ended up going with Max Crosby, which would have been the yeah. better pick, but Zimenez was the one well, who went you there. You so. speaking prophecy. I was, I was a Tano Passio yep, guy too. Yep. That's that was your guy, Nova. And he's been okay in Kansas City. He's been so, all right, but I, I'm just been all right. I'm, I'm getting away from the uh, the the small school yeah. edges. I don't blame you, Clap. It's tough. Um, I'll throw um, out my next one here. Um, yeah, I was doing a little, trying to scout a little bit to find uh, the Lions' next interior lineman, and I think that this is a, is a guy that. Um, you know, for me, when I was looking at these linemen, like trying to see, because I don't really think the Lions, unless they, you know, acquire some extra picks in a in a, in a draft day trade, I don't really think they're going to take an offensive lineman uh, at the earliest in the third round. I would just have a hard time seeing them go the interior O line route in rounds one or two. Um, so Shane Lemieux mm. from from Oregon was a guy who uh, has gotten a little bit of buzz and. There's definitely some things to, to clean up in terms of uh, his pass protection. Sometimes when he gets into pass row, it kind of looks like he's backpedaling more so than uh, than really like pass setting. And then you know occasionally he can can miss a couple blocks by just you know leaning in too much and not really bringing his hands with him. But overall, a guy who I thought was was extremely powerful and especially when just kind of more considering the Lions with uh, him playing left guard and having a, a really good tackle and Taylor Decker next to him on the left, a really good center and Frank Ragnow to him to the right, I think, you know, w- would help his development a lot being, you know, not so much on an island there at guard. And uh, just a guy who you know, I thought was, was pretty impressive, not, you know, and also, you know, in that Oregon scheme, doing a lot of different things out in, out in space, screen passes, um, stuff like that, he's, he's comfortable doing as well. So, 
Um, I, I just was, you know, pleasantly surprised, you know, by his film, but also can, can see why he's not considered one of the, the top linemen uh, in, on the interior in the draft. But definitely a guy who I could see going at the end of round three. I wouldn't hate it for any team picking at the end of round three or even the Lions at the top of four. Better than Joe Dahl? Upgrade over Joe Dahl? I would hope so. Yeah, no, I I, I watched a little. I was watching a little bit of Jake Hansen too, who I uh, who I thought was good. Who was the center? Who was right next to him? Um, and then you know they have Sewell at left tackle, who is kind of a wonder kid and supposedly is going to be a top ten pick last year or next year. So um, that's a really impressive unit over at Oregon. Yeah, and I didn't get over to. Uh, apparently, there's a kid named uh, Robert Hunt from Louisiana yep. Tech. Haven't gotten to him yet, but I, I hear a lot of pleasant things oh about guys. him on the interior. Yeah, no, I, I like him. Um, it's, it's me, right? Yep. All right. This next, um, prospect comes with a prophecy hmm. and I was expecting in. it, but this is a natural prophecy and I'm watching tape and you guys all know by now, all the listeners know, I love my Utah Utes and, uh, <laughs> watching them. I get, I get great pleasure out of watching the Utah Utes. They had a great season this past year. Is this going to have to do um, with the quarterback potentially? I'm going to shout out the quarterback. But okay. No. Okay. No. First of all, shout out T Hunt. I wanted to talk about this separately when my in like a quarterback's delve in, but the fact that this guy is not getting talked about in the same conversation as Anthony Gordon and in, in, in the, the Anthony Gordons and Cole McDonald's and even Jalen Hurts's, yeah, you heard me, of the world, um, is ridiculous. I think Tyler Huntley is he he could be the next Eli Manning. Let's just keep let's just keep that on the low right now, though. Um, anyone hear that Utah, comparison anywhere else? They're they're. There's, they had a stud defense, and there's a guy who kept popping off on tape to me, and I don't think he I, – I didn't look too much into it. I don't know if it's injuries or, or off-the-field concerns or whatever it was, but he was off the field for some part of this season because he didn't play every game. But in the games he did play, I, I noticed him making a big impact, and he wore a couple different numbers, I want to say. So kind of confusing to keep track of him. 13. But I'm going to shout this guy out, and that's Francis Bernard from the University of Utah, uh, the linebacker, a guy who – Here's my prophecy is going to have a better career than Jelani Tavai. He's a better football player than Jelani Tavai. He's a better <laughs> linebacker than Jelani Tavai. And the reason I say this is because he reminds me of Jelani Tavai. They have a, they have a similar play style. Um, watching the tape, uh, I was seeing Francis Bernard. I was like, wow, that, that guy reminds me an awful lot of, of uh, Jelani Tavai. And he probably won't go till the fifth round this year. So there's my prophecy that when it's all said and done, when we're old men, we can drink some whiskey and have a nice, a nice vote amongst the BJP heads of who had a better career between Francis Bernard and Jelani Tavai down the road because I think that it's a long-term prophecy, but I think Francis Bernard's the type of guy who may have third-round value and probably will get taken in the fifth, but very excited to see what he can do at that linebacker position at the next level because he's extremely versatile. Um, I saw him be extremely explosive and and disrupt the pocket and the run game and also break up passes and coverage. So... um, this is a guy I think should be definitely getting getting a little bit more buzz than than he's currently getting. Utah had a little feisty defense last year. Yeah, between, between Jalen Johnson, Terrell Burgess, and we, Francis Bernard. I mean, Bradley and I making me Licky Fotu. Bradley and I is another really guy, really yeah. good defense, and I think I think we might as well uh, use that as a nice little uh, you know segue because I'm gonna I'm gonna put Terrell Burgess as my next uh, sleeper, and maybe this is a guy who's starting to come on a little bit, um, and is starting. I've seen him in the second round potentially. Um, but I think he's just a really high floor, versatile, smart football player, and you can put him in the nickel. He can kind of, you can play safety. He can play around the line of scrimmage. Um, he's a versatile, willing tackler. Tackler, and I, I mean, he he's just. I just really like the 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 you know the mentality and the the type of game that he brings and the versatility. Like I said, he can play down at the line of scrimmage, and also he play kind of that deep free safety role for them too. So I think he can play both safety roles. Um, I guess you know five eleven, two o two. He's got four four six speed and and really was just kind of a cleanup guy I think and and I and I noticed Bernard too both of uh, you know just a this defense swarms and Terrell Burgess really was uh, you know kind of the guy who was leading that swarm a lot of the time for that Utah defense and I just I wrote down you know high floor player I think you can just bring him in and he can start for a team that needs help in the nickel or or even you know at safety but for sure uh, a really good football player that I think is going to find success in the NFL from from day one really. Yeah, he was a guy who, uh, uh, one of my favorite draft uh, people, John Ledyard, mm-hmm. number three safety in the class. So um, I respect his football opinion and, and 
have definitely you know heard some stuff about Burgess recently as well, maybe being you know potential uh, one of the you know higher safeties taken and a surprise pick for sure. So yeah, like like you said, man, the, that Utah defense swarming, swarming, swarming Big time. Um, all right, I'll do my my last player, and ever since George Kittle, I like to dip my uh, toe into the tight end pool. Uh, and this year, I'm letting my hopes ride on a man named Dalton Keene from, from Virginia Tech. Uh, ran a 4.740, unproven in the passing game, but that's the same speed as TJ Hawkinson. You might remember him from last year's eighth overall pick. Uh, and uh, Keene, uh, you know, much more unproven in the passing game, but uh, had a career high five touchdowns last year. Big, you know, big red zone producer, and, and moves all over the formation. So plays a little H back, plays a little inline tight end, even kicks out to the slot every once in a while. So, uh, you know, in a weak tight end class, get yourself some Dalton Keene on, on on day three. I love that club. Tommy was showing me some of his stuff, and he he is an extremely exciting player who I think projects somewhat well uh, to the next level just in terms of his versatility. Yeah, like running, mentioned. I mean, I, I love this pick, Clep, and just kind of the versatility and compared to, you know, you're probably going to get this guy. He might be he's probably going to be available round five, round six, and I think the versatility that he brings, what he can, you know, be as a route runner coming out, as you said, from the H-back spot, from the inline tight end spot, and even as from the traditional tight end spot. Um, you know, he's just a really good athlete and a really good football player, I think. Great stash, too. So I think he's a guy that um, will, you know, if it's on special and, teams, and a captain, I, if I, I think. Yeah, I didn't even know that, but that it, that makes sense. So, that makes sense because he just kind of it seems to have that kind of presence uh, on the on the football field. Uh, my third and final sleeper here is a guy that played on one of the best teams in America and kind of faded into their depth chart on the on the defensive line. And I'm talking about Robert Landers at Ohio State. Um, this is a guy who. I was really excited to talk about because he's someone who popped off during the college football season on tape for me. Obviously, always knew he was undersized at 6'1". I think that might be generous. I think he might be under 6'1", so more around 6 feet. Um, but really quick and technical, um, and he got his, man, uh, on that on that D-line at Ohio State. He's, I think, just under 300 pounds, like around 290, so he's, he's, he's big and physical enough to, to hang around, and he's got good technique, and I think that he's a guy who – like you said about Keen, could be available in the fifth or sixth round. It might be worth taking a flyer on, just because he was under. He's a little undersized, and uh, like I said, faded into that depth chart. And maybe, maybe there's a little bit more potential there than people may be thinking, because he popped off a lot this season for the Buckeyes. He, um, watching them during the year. Is he a senior? Lee? He is a senior. Yeah, he's a, he's red a redshirt senior. senior. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. He was a little yeah. dude in the middle of their D line, number sixty-seven. Yeah. I, I I remember the name. I, I mean, the he's name. yeah. He's got a high yeah. motor, man. I, I just really enjoyed watching him. And then a couple other names I'm going to throw out just as my my goodbye here for sleepers is staying on the D-line. Just shout out to that Baylor D-line. I'm going to talk about James Lynch and Bravion Roy. Um, James Lynch, a guy who can play inside and out. May not be physical or strong enough to really be a high-round pick and kind of a tweener between edge and interior, but versatile, high motor, physical player um, who, you know, He's, he's a hungry dude. I really enjoyed watching his film. And then Bravion Roy is just a big guy with good hands and quick feet who I saw disrupting right there alongside Lynch on the Baylor Baylor tape. So two guys that, that definitely piqued my interest as well. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I did, I did a good amount of watching of some different guys, so I'll, I'll go on a little tangent too. And I, and I know Lee and I have some crossover, so maybe we can, uh, we can delve into some of that. The first guy I'm going to talk about is Amik Robertson from Louisiana Tech. He's their corner. He was, he was their number one corner despite being five foot eight. 187, um, reportedly ran a 445, uh, or yeah, 445 at his pro day. So you guys can take that with a grain of salt. The quarantine pro days have shown to be showing some extremely fast times, but I wouldn't be that surprised. I mean, he's a, he's, I mean, the kid's just a really instinctual, good athlete, good football player. Um, I mean, despite being undersized, he's, he's feisty as hell. I, I would point you guys to the Texas game when he was matched up with Colin Johnson on the outside and is giving up, I guess, you know, quick math, 10 inches. Colin Johnson is 6'6", six, six, he's 5'8", um, and was just in his face, hands, hands right on him, pressing him, um, and, you know, incredibly physical for his size, size. He's probably too small for the outside at the next level, but I think he could thrive in the nickel um, and it would, you know, be a guy that, Unless he's going up against big tight ends where the physicality might be a little too much for him to overcome. But the ball skills, the physicality, he's a willing tackler in the run game, aggressive. Um, and I, and I, I wrote down he's probably a best fit for a zone as a slot just because of those man-on-man man, man concerns with, with bigger receivers at the next level. 
Um, but Amik Robertson is a guy who I think could potentially go, uh, you know, I could see him going round two to a team where it's really a team specific, specific need, but it's probably more of a round three, round four guy. Uh, and, you know, would, would be in the conversation if he was probably, you know, two inches, two inches and 10 pounds more on his frame. Um, Amik Robertson or Parnell Motley? <laughs> I think I think both of them. I think Motley probably is more of a an NFL frame than Amik Robertson. I mean, Amik Robertson is is diminutive. It's you got to pick one, Tommy. Oh, you got to pick one. Choose one. I'm gonna have yeah. to go with Motley because I think he can play outside in the NFL, and and Robertson is is a little bit more pigeonholed. But I mean, I think Robertson might have a higher floor than Motley for whatever that's worth. Whatever that's worth. Motley's got one of the highest so floors in the pick? class. I mean, it just depends on the team. If I need, if I'm the Lions and I need to take a chance on an outside corner, I'm definitely going to take Motley. But if I'm a team, you know, I guess like the Chargers, if they didn't sign Chris Harris, or you know, if you need like a kind of like nickel zone guy, I would go with a guy like Amik Robertson. That's it's more of a, a scheme specific thing. But you know, Motley has the the potential to be an outside corner in the NFL, and, and that makes him more valuable, in my opinion. Um, and then I was going to talk about Geno Stone, the safety from from Iowa. Clep, I don't. I think did you bring him up a couple weeks ago, something like that? Did, did I want to say we we might have Geno Stone? I might have brought him up, up. maybe. Uh, but Geno Stone, Lee, I know you've watched him before, but um, Iowa safety, uh, really instinctual player, a guy who probably you're going to find in you know the fourth or fifth round, definitely day three. But I thought it was really smart. Um, was kind of he's not really a deep safety, but can play around the line of scrimmage, can play zone in that kind of like a, a weak side linebacker spot. A good tackler, good closing closing speed. The game against Michigan, I thought he was he was really good. Um, and you know, kind of your traditional strong safety and a guy who's developmental. I really liked Imani Hooker coming out of there last year. I just think they they give guys who are you know good football players, good instincts, um, and good fundamentals. So I thought Geno Stone would be a great day three value uh, at the safety spot. Five ten two oh seven. So maybe. A little undersized to, to be that strong safety, but uh, I wouldn't bet against him. Then, uh, Lee, you want to talk about Tanner Muse real quick? Yeah, I mean, um, he's a guy that was on my. I made a list of ten yeah. sleepers, so he was on it. Sam on that list. Um, I don't um, know. I don't know about you, but I kind of getting started a lot of games for yeah. Clemson, man. But played played a lot of football. Was relied upon. I, I think he was a captain. Yeah. On that defense and really good athlete, six two two thirty. I heard you say it earlier. Probably has a future in the NFL at linebacker. Probably have to put a little bit of He's, weight on. If yeah, six two two twenty seven. But he could kind of play that rover. And I mean, I Lee, I I can I think he may have a future at safety in the NFL. Honestly, he's fast yeah. enough. Maybe you know he's a bit of a tweener, so that's interesting. But he's he's kind of you know he's kind of like a Mark Barron. Really, a bit. I wouldn't know because Mark Barron is five ten, right? Muse is like six okay. two, and he's. Like, I think Barron was around six foot. I think the thing with Muse is, I think I would put weight on him, and yet he, dude, he ran a four four one at six two two twenty seven. I mean, the kid's a great athlete, thirty four and a half inch vertical. I kind of he gave me some Drew Tranquil mm-hmm. vibes, and I know Tranquil had the Tranquil played safety, and then had the 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 knee injuries that kind of zapped his athleticism a little bit. But he mm-hmm. kind of he, – he gives me just like a little bit more juiced up of a Drew Tranquil vibe. I think Tranquil probably was heavier totally. than him. Um, but I think he's a guy that you could put on tight ends and, man, I think he's athletic enough to do that and kind of be a little bit of an undersized mm-hmm. linebacker. But I also think there's a potential for him to put on weight and, you know, be a guy who's running a 4.5 at 235, 240, you know. Um, I think Tanner Muse is live once the fourth round I, starts. I think any team could fall in love with him enough to pick him in the fourth yeah. round because he of what he brings to the table. He, um, and I, yeah, I know I like him a lot. That's a I'm glad you brought that up because he's a guy I really liked. And effort too. The effort's there too. Um, you know, I think he, he's mm-hmm. just well. Yeah, I mean, uh, Clemson's defense. Uh, he played a lot of snaps for that Clemson defense. And, and I know, I mean, maybe Isaiah Simmons. It was did, him and Simmons did some 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 of that dirty work for him. But oops. Had, but uh. I mean, this is a. I think he's getting. I, I think this, he's getting uh, overlooked a little bit right now in the draft Definitely. process. But they have three kind of safe. They had you know it was Muse Simmons and then Kayvon Wallace who kind of played the Terrell Burgess role for mm-hmm. them a little bit. And they had they kind of had three athletic coverage safety guys that they would play 
at the same time as matchups. And, and Burgess could, could do some nickel work too and cover receivers, but or not Burgess, uh, Wallace. Uh, but yeah, I think I think Muse has a skill set that can translate to to the modern NFL. Um, then I, I, Lee, I wanted to bring up Hunter Bryant too, who's a no, a, a guy that you watched as well, uh, the tight end from Washington. Yep. And in my preliminary, you know, college football watching and draft watching, Hunter Bryant was a guy that that stood out to me as as my tight end one throughout throughout the season, my uneducated tight end one, because he reminded me a lot of of Evan Ingram. Uh, and now that we, he tested in Indy and he ran a four, he ran a four seven four, which was a lot slower than a, that a lot of people thought he was running. And I thought he he probably put on a little weight. He looked heavier. He looked like he was trying to fill that that traditional tight end build to go to the next level. But I think this is a guy who's probably a big slot at the next level in, in the NFL and uh, a mismatch with LBs. Um, I don't think he he's going to play tight end, man. Well, it's he's just such he's such he's he's not a good run blocker. I don't think. He, I think he's kind of a liability in the run game. He's he, he's he, he's not a he's he's a he's an average run blocker. He's not he's not a he's not a sieve. He's not so bad that you have to move him to slot. He you can you can work with what he's got. Yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know. I he runs a four set. He can't play the slot, dude. He runs four seven. Like he, he's going to play tight end. But he needs to put a little bit dude, of weight on. Played, I'm glad he put weight on. I don't. I'm not worried about the he four played seven slot at Washington. I think the game speed is and he's there. Tight end, but they would like they would use him a lot in like end arounds and like they even threw. Like screens to him, and he was running. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he'll line up in the slot wherever he's drafted, but he's never going to be a, the consistent slot player. Like he's going no, to I be know, a tight but he's a guy that I think NFL. you can't have him on the field in the run. Like you shouldn't have him on the field in the run game. That's what I thought. Like I don't, I don't think in the at the NFL level, I didn't see him as like a tenacious, willing enough blocker well, to. Yeah, I mean, he's not even no, you know, like Noah Fant was a guy who obviously had the the athletic profile, but was also like a plus blocker. You know, I just I don't see the blocking skills. Uh, I I don't know, man. I don't think he's really that much worse of a blocker than Noah Fant. Maybe he's worse, but I don't know. Maybe I need to grind the tape a little bit harder. But I didn't think his blocking was really that yeah. bad. Yeah. So that just didn't stand out to me as much as it did. Yeah, to you. I guess it's just something that obviously he could develop as a blocker and put on more weight at tight end. But I just see when you his rack ability and just getting the ball in his hands and using him as a receiver is really where he shines through. Mm-hmm. And I guess I almost Absolutely. I almost would rather, you know, if you you know to use the line, like, you know, if you have Jesse James as your your run game blocking tight end, Hunter Bryant would be a great receiving tight end to bring in to complement to him, you know, basically. Yeah, but you don't want to tell the defense what you're doing every single time based on your tight end. No, I know. So, you have to be able to they have to be able to do multiple things and I think that he's a guy who you can't just throw blocking out the window. Like he can work on that and, and be a, a good enough blocker to play. You know, be out on the field yeah. on one place in the NFL. I think he can do yeah. that. So, um, and I guess one last deep sleeper that I'll talk about is Joe Reed, the receiver from Vir- oh, from Virginia. Virginia. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, too. I don't club. Then I guess you can join me on this. And and he's a guy who has positional versatility. He's built like a running back. He kind of. He he's not really a receiver. He runs a pretty limited route tree. It's kind of just outs from the slot, and they'll kind of put him as an inline H back and and run. I saw him. He caught a nice touchdown on a wheel, uh, running a wheel from from uh, the backfield. But uh, a guy who day one I think could be your kick returner. I, Clep, I don't know if you saw him returning. Kicks. Yeah, that's what I mean. I was gonna say. I mean, one of the guys who I don't. I'm not saying at all that these two are the same players because mm-hmm. they're not, but. Um, Jakeem Grant was a guy who I really liked coming out of Texas Tech a couple years yep. ago, and he's gone on to Miami, and he hasn't you know done a ton as a receiver, but he's been one of the most electrifying uh, return guys in the NFL. So I think at you know at the very least you're going to get return value out of out of in special teams value out of out of Joe Reed. Yeah, he's definitely. I think Jakeem Grant ran like a four too. He doesn't have that. Yeah, okay. I'm not saying that they're the same. They're the same athlete same. at all, um, and I'm not saying they're the same player. I'm just Roll. saying it, it just reminds me of him. Where yeah. At the very least, you're you're getting returned. Yeah, it's a great name, Joe. Yeah, Reed. Joe, and I mean, dude, he's six six foot two twenty four. I mean, he's thick, and he still runs. Yeah, he's a, he's a big guy too. He's big. Like he's got the mm-hmm. contact balance. That's where he's kind of built like a running back, and he's a guy that, like you said, club day one return value. But also, I would love to see him, you know, with a creative offensive coordinator slash coach who can get the ball in his hands and get him in space. Because I think he's probably a guy who's going to go late day three and and might even go undrafted, but would be a really good, a really good player. Let's uh, get into a little topic. I want to discuss great sleepers. Everybody. That was a, that was a fantastic segment. Hopefully 
Hey man, if if one of my if one of my three pops off and becomes a, a you know kind of a you know decent NFL starter, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a happy boy. Oh yeah, be a happy boy. Um, let's. So I, I was just thinking about this team, and I picked them in in the little uh, you know mock draft mock draft uh, draft teaser mock draft draft. Um, but I think. Every every draft season, I think the teams who aren't picking in the first round get overlooked, and we don't really talk about them as much as the other teams. Obviously, because they don't have a first round pick, but that doesn't mean that the draft isn't as important for them. And that's the Indianapolis Colts for me. And I think picking at thirty four and then picking again at forty four, and already you know I mean, they drafted DeForest Buckner essentially, and that's probably the best pick of the first round. Um, and obviously, yeah, you had to sign him to a big deal, but. I mean, he's he's going to be an unbelievable player that fills a huge need for them in terms of just getting pressure from their defensive line, and I just kind of interested to see maybe to take a temperature check for you guys as to what you think that they will do with those two picks. I think that they could add. I, I really would like to see them add one of my boys, Brian Edwards or Michael Pittman, uh, at, at the receiver position because I think right now with Paris Campbell and T.Y. Hilton, you kind of have two dudes who do the the same thing. Um, and you know, I know you've played with Zach Pascal, Doris Fountain, but at the end of the day, I think that you should just kind of try and retool that, that wide receiver room just a little bit. I think they're set on the O line, but then I think they could also use a player in their secondary. I mean, the, the Xavier road signing is, is interesting, but he's not the same player he used to be. So I think getting another, you know, young corner might be in the cards for them as well, since uh, Pierre Desir is now out the door. So I uh, just, you know, where are you guys kind of at with, with what the Colts should do with these two picks and, is quarterback in play? Yeah, I, de- I definitely think quarterback is in play. Whether they should take a quarterback at 34 or 44 or even worse, potentially packaging those picks to move back into the first round to you know to a team like the Patriots to take a quarterback at, at 23 of whoever they like. I think the, all those possibilities are live. But, Clep, I'm definitely kind of lockstep with you that the number one priority, I think, has to be bringing in uh, a pass catcher. And I think they're in a prime position in the draft to, to really get at that next level of re- receivers, whether it be at 30, 34, or what is it? Is it 34 and 44, Clep? Four. Yeah. yeah, so I think they're in a perfect spot uh, to do that. You Like you said, you brought in DeForest Buckner, which was probably their biggest need um, before, and then interior defensive line. And I, I guess I, I'm completely lockstep with you, Adam. I think receiver and, a, and another player for their secondary, I think they have, you know, they got my boy Marvell Tell, Crespi Sell, uh, in that corner room, but he's a guy who played safety in college. Um, so he's, he's, you know, he's a versatile player, but, and they drafted Rocky Sin last year, but, you know, Quincy Wilson hasn't been a second round type corner and, and they need to, you know, you can never have enough good corners. So I think I'm completely with you, man, that I definitely think quarterbacks in play, but pass catcher and, uh, pass coverage has got to be where they, they focus that second round on. Yeah. I don't really have too much to add. I'm pretty much in lockstep with you guys. The only thing I would say about quarterback is. The only way it would be in play is if you if you if you one of your guys is available. You know, I mean, if you really like the film you see on Jordan Love or Jacob Eason or Jake Fromm, who will most likely be the guys who you'll be talking about in that conversation um, at 33 or 34 or whatever it is, <clears throat> then you know that's that's a move you have to make if you think that one of those guys can be your quarterback in the future. Obviously, I know you have Jacoby Brissett and you just signed Philip Rivers, but you can you can you know fill that quarterback room for the next 15 years, hopefully, if you, know, if you can rely on your, on your in, in instincts to take the right guy. Um, so that, that would be what the conversation would come down to. But other than that, I think it's, it's corner, receiver, maybe getting a little more depth along the D-line just because I know they got Buckner, but they could probably use a bit more of a rotation. Um, that would be the only other, other conversation that I'd have. But I think for the most part um, that they, they receiver would be the main focus, in my opinion, club. What do you guys think? I mean, maybe this is a conversation more for a July, but do you think that the Colts are the favorite to win the South? No. I, I think, think the Titans are. Those the Titans. Still with the Titans. I like the Titans. Yeah. I, yeah. I think the Titans haven't done anything to prove And also, as, as you know, someone who had Phillip Rivers in fantasy and someone who, the only one of uh, this trio who picked the Chargers to go to the playoffs last year, um, I think it's dangerous to assume that because Phillip Rivers has a better O-line and, and definitely a lack of weapons if, you know, even if addressed in, in the second round. His play, you know, just to assume that he's going to elevate this team potentially above Jacoby Brissett, 
I think is kind of dishonest. I don't know. We, I mean, we probably saw the worst year in recent memory out of Phillip Rivers last year, and I definitely think the infrastructure in, in the Colts is probably better, but you know, how much better you know, is this team going to be with Phillip Rivers? I think that's kind of where the, the, the question lies. I think they'll be better. I think they. I, I think, think they will be too. Better. But, um, you know, I mean, obviously not better enough to to not go with the Titans right now as as the favorite, right? I mean, well, I mean, yeah. Well, I, we'll see how we feel yeah. after the draft. You know, we could be we could be singing a different tune if if the Titans kind of botch the draft and and the Colts hit a home run. So, Even if, but I think the Colts are in, within striking distance right now, where they're close enough, where a good draft, and they're right they're right there in that conversation. I will say you know? it's funny that you say that about the Titans because one for the past couple of years their roster is just pretty solid. I it's I think it's kind of hard for them to botch the draft because even if they you know buy, even if they pick players that we all don't like, they still really have limited needs and you know, you're bringing in back Tannehill who I don't think was a flash in the pan. I obviously don't think he's, you know, an elite quarterback, but they have AJ Brown, they brought back Derrick Henry. I think you're you, we kind of know what we're going to get from the Titans, I think, even if they regress. Um, I don't think this team's going to, you know, I don't think they're going to bottom out, I guess is the only thing I'll push back against the Titans. No, I don't think they're going to bottom out, but I don't necessarily going to think they're going to pick up right where they left off and, you know, be running over people and Tannehill is going to be slinging it all around. Yeah, the field. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think there'll be a little bit of regression there. I don't think you're going to be, I still think you're going to be seeing them maybe drop a game to Jacksonville or drop a game, yeah, and, you know, at home to, to, to India, yeah. you know, it's still going to be competitive and, and. And, and very close. So that's the thing where even if the Titans have a decent draft, I think the Colts are in a position now where they can really elevate themselves. If they have a really yeah. good draft, and let's say they don't take a quarterback and they get like Chenault and, in, 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 you know, I don't know, Jalen Johnson, mm-hmm. then you're looking at a team who doesn't really have a lot yeah. of holes, you know. And uh, if Chenault can stay healthy and Paris Campbell is your third receiver behind Chenault and T.Y., and Frank Reich and Rivers are clicking, you know, the play calling is going to be good. You know, you're going to get good play calling. You know, the running backs, I'm really excited to see. We don't need to get into a Colts discussion, but Naheem Hines, I think, is going to have development. I think Marlon Mack is still a good running back. So they got, they got tools on offense. Yeah, I guess the, I guess I would just ask, um, I don't know, what, like, what are you expecting out of Rivers this year? Kind of like, I guess off top, you know, well, definitely, definitely at the very least an improvement from last season, obviously. I'm expecting him to turn the ball over less, and I'm expecting that he's going to be playing in a different offense, man, with different, a complete different mm-hmm. agenda. And I think that if there's anyone who's going to know how to play call Phillip Rivers, it's going to be Frank Reich. So maybe it's more of a referendum on how much I like Frank Reich. As much as I like Vrabel, too, I still think Frank Reich is the best coach in that division. So I just think that Rivers is a smart dude. You know, he was comfortable in San Diego slash LA. He's there for, you know, 16 years. He came to Indy. It was his choice. I'm sure he probably could have gone to a couple other places, came to Indy, rekindled that relationship with Reich. And I think that it's kind of a, really a boomer bust year for him. So that's kind of where, where my, uh, my head's at. It's fair. Yeah. I'm, I'm along the same lines as Lee. And even though maybe this is just me, but even though, you know, the Chargers had Melvin Gordon and, and, and Austin Eckler. For some reason, it, it always kind of felt like everything fell on Phillip Rivers' shoulders, um, especially at the end of games. Uh, still kind of mm-hmm. felt like he was the one carrying that team. And I think in, in Indianapolis, um, it's you know not going to be as, as big of a spotlight perhaps. And, and the defense is, is really has you know elite players, at least in the front seven with DeForest Buckner and, and Darius Leonard. And Malik Hooker as well. If you think you know highly of him, he's he's a great player in their back half. So I think this defense too could be uh, a pretty solid. And Lee's boy Ben Banigou. So yes, you know, sir. Um, I I just thought that the Colts would were just an interesting, uh, interesting totally. kind of they are. team to talk about, considering that they don't get talked about a lot because they don't have a first round pick. Mm-hmm. But I still think with their high second and then their you know their other second round pick that they still have just could could be. And interesting to see whether they try and pair those and move up to take a quarterback mm-hmm. or if they just sit there and take two guys that they need and try to try and get after it with Phillip Rivers. So Lee, maybe you want to talk about the Raiders. You don't do you not do you not think they should take a receiver at twelve if they have uh... I think it depends on how the big board falls. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily think it was a bad pick if they took receiver at twelve, but I just think that kind of signed 
They signed Aguilar, and I know he's not great, but they have Zay Jones, who I know, again, is is, is not great. They have Renfro and Tyrell Williams. But those are four guys who, like, you can work with that, especially considering you have Darren Waller um, and Josh Jacobs. You have a pretty complete offense, and you can can get – I mean, I guess I just am not convinced that CeeDee Lamb's going to step foot in Las Vegas and be a number one receiver and, like, be, like, taking the top off of defenses immediately. So that's the only thing that would, I would say, where your defense is like, you sign a couple linebackers, but you still could use help at linebacker. You know, you got young ends, but the inside of your defensive line is Mo Hurst and, and the dude from Malik Collins from, from Dallas. So that's not amazing. And then your safeties are, Lee, what obviously you, you have Abram. and Kinlaw at, at, at 11? 12. Or 12, sorry. I would, I'd be, I, I would be really interested in that. Oh, Raiders. you're saying with, uh, with yeah. the Raiders, twelve, twelve, yeah. Oh, that'd be. I think that'd be a good pick. I also think they need a corner. I I don't think they can get out of the first round without getting a corner. To be honest. Yeah, man. Because like, right now you have you know Nevin Lawson and, and Trayvon Mullen. And yeah, I mean, I mean, like, dude, what if you just went like? Because I'm. I mean, I don't know. I think I'll push back a little bit with the receiver thing and say like. Zay Jones and Nelson Aguilar are kind of castoffs who haven't you know, really been had been you know bring consistent production. I think having Darren Waller um, is definitely a, a huge plus. But and, Hunter and Renfro, Renfro I think. had a few moments, but it's not anything you can count on going into the next year. And Tyrell Williams is a, a pretty good player, so I definitely think I think you can count on Hunter Renfro going into next year. I think you can too, but he's a he's a slot. Like you need a one, you need a, a one. I think he's your starting yeah. slot. So, so yeah, so I think so it's I don't a starting know. I, slot. I don't know. I, I, my complaint there is more with Zay Jones and Nelson Aguilar. I don't love counting yeah. on them for you know to combine for like a thousand yards. I mean, it's it's uh, interesting, but I and I, I think and they I need see the point where it's like for okay, maybe. And it's like I, I see the point that like okay, maybe they don't have to go there, but I think I would like. Would you rather have? Um, C.D. Lamb and Jeff Gladney or Javon Kinlaw and Jeff Gladney? Because mm. you, you say you can probably get Gladney at 19 or even Terrell, Lee, if you're you know maybe now higher on Terrell than you're on Gladney. But. Mm. For the Raiders, I probably would get Gladney. Okay, yeah. So would you rather pair Gladney with Kinlaw or Lamb? Or maybe somebody else that, that I'm not including, but. Kinlaw, because I don't think offense was their issue last year. Mm-hmm. I think their offense was good last year. Yep. And I know they – who'd they lose? Did they lose a receiver? A.B. They lost – well, not A.B. Was it Travis Benjamin? I don't know. They didn't lose – dude, they were good. Like, their offense is good. Tyra yeah, Williams is good. Same, they have the same team. I know Tyra Williams isn't a number one receiver, but he's good, and there's a lot of depth in this draft, and you have 80 and 81 yep. in the third round. And it's like, dude, you can get – I mean, I just think if you bring in Kinlaw and Gladney, your defense is complete for the most part. You can get away with having a somewhat weak linebacker core and a somewhat yeah, weak – Yeah, but I don't even think the linebacker core is yeah. weak with signing Corey Littleton and signing Nick Kwiatkowski. Like, those – I think those – I think it's solid. Pretty, I think it's solid. good yep. signings. It better than Tahir Whitehead. They were good Whitehead. signings. Better than Tahir Whitehead. Huh? It's an upgrade. Yep. Littleton is, Yeah. I mean, little. I mean, if Littleton, if I don't think Nicholas Morrow isn't great, and, I think and Nick Kwiatkowski might be like, better like than Nick you guys Kwiatkowski, think. He but. was hiding behind Roquan Smith and hiding behind Danny Trevathan. and he never really had a chance to start in Chicago. I think he can be a good player. I like I Nick Kwiatkowski. I do too, and I, I like think him. if if Littleton is you know a third, I mean you know eighty percent, ninety percent of the player he was last year, you're you're getting a, a top you know five covers linebacker in the NFL, and you know a guy that should if he's healthy should be able to. And, and and I think Kwiatkowski and Littleton would play perfectly off each other, um, as you know Kwiatkowski kind of being the down, the downhill run stuffer and, and and Littleton being your your coverage linebacker. So I definitely think, but yeah, I'd go I definitely defense. think it's interesting. I'd go I think all it's defense. interesting. I do think the allure is in the third. I mean, you would be getting a one at twelve at receiver, and I don't think. I mean, I, I if they can get a guy like Van Jefferson at eighty, I would love that. I think that would. That would, you know, really like the Kinlaw Gladney and then Van Jefferson at 80 and whoever you want in 81. Um, but if you can't get a number one receiver, I do think getting a number one receiver 
would really change the dynamic of this offense. And all of a sudden, Tyrell Williams is your number two, and you got Renfro and and you know and Aguilar, who you know got a bad rep, but I think could be he's a you know he could be a deep threat. He's a fine deep threat, I think, in a in a depth role. So, yeah. I just don't really think that a Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb or Henry Ruggs, with how good they are, I know that, I don't think they'd be bringing more of a positive impact to this team as a whole as if you were to just focus solely on defense in the first round and then address your already above-average offense in this in the third round and just kind of tweak that up and improve it and try to they, come out with the same similar offense that you, you have your play style where their, their offensive line just mashes, they run the ball really effectively, they have Darren Waller, it's, I know they signed Whitney, yeah. which is kind of weird. That's but, a, and then they have, you know, they have their kind of, they have their stable of receivers with with Renfro being their slot guy and Tyrell Williams getting more work than and, he probably and an should. An interesting but. thing, I mean, Foster Moreau too, who was a, who was a nice rookie tight end last year. They kind of their D tackle and receiver spots are similar, I think, kind of because you have Maurice Hurst and Collins, and then you have PJ Hall, who is who's been good, I think, if I remember correctly. I know he had a good rookie year. I'm assuming he was pretty solid last year. And, and, you know, Jonathan Hankins, who's a vet, you kind of have similar, you know, they're parallel. The, the, the interior D-line and receiver core are both kind of lacking a true number one stud, but are deep mm-hmm. in their own right, you know, right. And, you know, Mo Hurst is, is a really good D-tackle. He's a good player. Um, so I, I do think it's yeah, really no. interesting, though. I mean, obviously, I think bringing in a guy like Judy, Lamb, or Ruggs, and, you know, Kinlaw, too, would both – push these two uh you know isolated position groups over the top i think would really give them a, a true stud and the, the thought of mo hurst and kinlaw would be that's a that's a really nice interior well yeah i mean you you just you just got max crosby and cleveland farrell last year who's looking like one of the best young edge duos in the league and if you can bring in kinlaw to slap right in the middle there another you know 20 something year old 20 22 year old i just think you're you've got You've got Raiders football right there. Yeah. <clears throat> but we can move on from the from the Raiders. We'll we'll see how how the draft goes. Any other our draft, <laughs> yeah. of course. Um I guess I'll talk about the Niners real quick and I just wanted to um just point out that I I don't think receiver is necessarily a need for them. I think you basically are are trying to replace Emmanuel Sanders who you know, I think wasn't we even saw a talented receiver like Emmanuel Sanders not really be, you know, there's a reason they didn't re-sign him. They didn't really, they don't really need what he brings to the table as, you know, as solid of a player as he is. Um, so much of their offense is obviously around George, George Kittle and, you know, kind of getting, you know, Debo Samuel the ball in space. And you've got a guy like Dante Pettis, who I thought had a really in, impressive rookie season and then was in the doghouse for all of last year for whatever reason. And, and Kendrick Bourne was a guy who get, got you touchdowns in the red zone as a possession receiver. And Jalen Hurd, who's a developmental receiver from from Baylor last year, who I'm assuming they think is like, um, you know, Debo Samuel in the way that he's a, he's a rack guy. He's built like a running back. You know, he's 6'4", 230 or whatever, and is the kind of athlete that he is. And then he's got, you know, Hotep, you know, Hotep Dello and I's guy, Marquise, Marquise Goodwin as he can kind of be your Emmanuel Sanders deep threat guy. Um, and, the, and then to, you know, conversely, I think replacing, getting another D tackle, I think, you know, to replace DeForest Buckner. Marquis Goodwin well, sucks. Well, just as a guy who can be your deep threat, you know. He sucks. He's not going to play for them. He's going to be like a healthy scratch half the season like he was right. last year. My, my point is that this you have needs on the offensive line. This offensive line overperformed last year. Joe Staley potentially might not return. I agree with you. I'm just I just wanted to no, say no, no, Marquis no. Goodwin sucks and he's not going to play that. No, no, much. that's fine. I'm just laying out the argument kind of in the fact that I thought their their offensive mm-hmm. line overperformed last year. Um, Joe Staley potentially is is mulling retirement. I think you know bringing a tap even if he's back next year. I still think you should bring in. Well, apparently that's a fifty fifty yeah, situation. Even, and from even what if I've he's heard. back, even if he's back, I still think you should bring in a tackle. I think well, yeah, guy, I mean, yeah, if you yeah. were to trade back from 13 or potentially at 31, if a guy like Josh Jones is there, I think that'd be an awesome, awesome pick for them. And then addressing that D line and, and bringing a corner in too. It's another. This team as a whole, I think, overperformed last year, and and I really think they're a good team with great infrastructure and a great coach. But you still have, you still can get better um, in the secondary, on the D line, and and on the offensive line. I think so. And with the aforementioned depth at receiver, you can you can address what you know the type of you know gadget guy that you want 
you know, to or deep threat that you want uh, in a later round. And obviously that with all these with all these receivers, you're giving you know you're you're making the the Niners pass on receivers, you're making the Raiders pass on receivers. Are there the three going to go in the top fifteen for you there? Tom? I don't know. I don't know. It's it's starting. Uh, it's it's starting to look like that. That might not. Uh, you know that that might not happen. I always was 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 harder on on the offensive tackles, but I still think that you know maybe one of them maybe one squeaks out, but I still think two receivers is a lock in the top fifteen. Maybe maybe one will squeak out, but um, if if Oakland if Oakland takes one, you know, and then I still think Denver is going to take one. So I uh, you know we'll see. Ugh. I know that won't be happening in our mock. You don't know how the boys are going right, to fall. Well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I know, I know Connor's taking Komet at 17. That's all I know for sure. Well, I mean, Blake Jarwin's probably better than Komet, to be honest. Who? Blake Jarwin. I said Blake Jarwin's probably better than Komet, to yeah. be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see what... Kind of excited to see Blake Jarwin start this year, dude. He flashed all last year, and good. Jason Witten shouldn't yeah. be taking targets away from him. And, I mean, they paid him. I think he got around $20 million bucks. I think, over three yeah. years. So he got a nice little payday, and it's time for him to be Very tight nice. end number one. Well, maybe let's do you know one last team here, and this is a team that I believe is being captained by Lee Murray in our next podcast, or, or, or the mock podcast, and that's the Seattle Seahawks. And – Lee, I don't know. I mean, and not to, I guess, you know, get any uh, information off you, but mm-hmm. you got, you know, the 27th pick, and then you got the last pick of the second round, and then um, the 27th pick of the second round as well at uh, 64 and then 59. I mean, where, with where this roster's at, kind of where do you see them them going? And, and you know, and, and they're always a team that's basically impossible to predict. I mean, who knows? They could probably take Jonathan Taylor uh, in the first round. But, yep, um, you know. I think that's an absolute possibility. I think Jonathan Taylor would do wonders for this team. Yeah, so I mean, but where do you? I think, he's, think you know, where do you, where's your head at with with the Seahawks? Um, I still am not in love with the fact that Cedric Abugie is a starting right tackle. That doesn't help me sleep at night if I'm the GM of the Seahawks and I want you know to make that Super Bowl run next year. But you also have to address the fact that Jadavian Clowney doesn't really look like he's going to be signing with you. And you can't take that as a uh, as as a necessary necessarily as a as like a fact during the draft. You kind of have to draft assuming that he's not going to be there, um, based off the reports, kind of. And um, and then, like you said, at running back and at linebacker, I think as much as I like uh, Shaquem Griffin, I don't necessarily know if he can be their starting linebacker right now. Um, and I think the way the board will fall, that there will be a spot where they can get a nice juicy linebacker. But with all that being said. I don't think they can work the draft to where they can get all three of those positions the way they want to get them. So I think they may need to move around to do it or possibly overdraft in order to do it based on what, based on which position they you know, value that, the most. That's the specialty of the, the Seattle Seahawks is overdrafting. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Lee, I thought you were saying that Clowney is planning on coming back and, and trying to skip training camp. Was that you who were telling me that or – I told you that like three weeks so ago. You, have you heard news in the in the interim about him? Yeah, the, the the new news that I heard was like a week and a half ago about Clowney that he moved his price down, and some reporter from Seattle said that there was like a five to ten percent chance he was going to sign with the wow. Seahawks. So it wasn't looking good. It probably still could yeah. happen. Who knows? But after I read that, I just it just made me kind of open my mind a little bit to hey, maybe Clowney will be in like New York or Tennessee or. Somewhere yeah, well, we talked there. about it. I think that would be you know, a great move for the Jets. Um, they, have, they have no edge. Um, and, yeah, but like you said, Lee, I kind of tend I, to agree with I think Jonathan Taylor is a really interesting spot for Seattle, though, because I think he immediate, I think he's better than Carson and Penny right off the bat. Oh, man. And you also are dealing with Penny's injury issues coming into the season. Um, and I, I, I'm a Travis Homer fan, but I don't necessarily think Seattle's just kind of had this turnstile of backs that has just worked just enough for them, but not really – you know, kind of gotten them to the point where they still need to sign Marshawn Lynch, you know, when they're in the playoffs, like when he's clearly over the hill. So I think bringing in a young back like Taylor could actually really do wonders for Russell Wilson. Well, yeah, all you have to do is uh, draft Jonathan Taylor and then flip Penny for the Lions' 35th overall pick to Bob Quinn. <laughs> Bob Quinn will be salivating over that one. Yeah, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. The, the moment the Seahawks draft Jonathan Taylor, Bob Quinn is, is dialing. Bob, is dialing Bob Quinn, him, he gets the bat. 
<laughs> that would be a nightmare scenario. I mean, it's you know they're the Seahawks, so they they overperform every year. It seems to think around Russell Wilson. You know, every year where I feel like we're all clamoring for them to address their offensive line or their defense, and uh, they never they never seem to do it. L.J. Collier last year they drafted to be, you know, I guess a DN. He didn't really do anything as a rookie. Um, but Lee, I mean, you kind of you kind of summed it up. I think you could you could get someone in the secondary for this team. You could get a linebacker to replace Shaquem Griffin. You could you definitely could use an edge because right now you have Collier and uh, Bruce Irvin as your starting edges. Um, and, and yeah. I will say, well, no, I'm just finished, and, Tom, and sorry, obviously their offensive line. I mean, Dwayne Brown has been nice to bring in, but uh, you know the the interior of their offensive line. I think you could use, you know, Cedric Abouye right tackle, DJ Fluker at right guard, BJ Finney at center. You got Pochich, who's been solid, I guess, from LSU as a left guard, and then Dwayne Brown. Finney's good. They just signed Finney from Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, he's solid. Mm-hmm. I I would you you know. I don't know what happened to Justin Britt. I guess he's kind of declined, but he was solid. And they obviously re-signed Papa Chubbs. You know he's going to be getting some snaps next year, especially if they don't draft uh, you know anyone. Uh, I definitely think Lion will be in the conversation, but uh, their Super Bowl window is like kind of immediate. <laughs> and Dwayne Brown's been kind of holding it down. If, and if you draft, you know, I, I definitely think Abugie could be replaced. But there are some other holes on the roster that could be addressed. No, I know. I but if you draft Jonathan Taylor or running back of your choice. You got Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, who's your backup running back, who you spent a first round pick on two years ago. Towards ACL, I, man. No, I towards ACL. The end I of know, season. but you you'd have three. You know, Penny was impressive last year before his injury. I mean, I think he's a, a solid back, and Chris Carson has been, apart from his fumble issues, has been really good. So it's just kind of the only position other than quarterback that you're. Chris Carson's been serviceable. He hasn't been really good. He's been serviceable. He's been like a sixty percent carries yeah, guy. He's not he's like really th- good. He's rushing he's for repl- a thousand yards and and some touchdowns and, and catching some balls too. I mean, he's been their bell cow for the past two years. I mean, he had twelve hundred yards rushing this year, seven touchdowns. Uh, you know, eleven hundred rushing yards rushing last year, nine touchdowns. I mean, he's been there. He's been their dude. He's twenty five years old. I mean, it would be a luxury pick. Obviously, I'd probably agree with you that Jonathan Taylor might be better than both of them, but. It would be it would be a luxury pick, it would de- luxury pick just like uh, Okuda the Giants. I would argue that it would be less of a. luxury I don't think it's pick. a luxury pick if he wins Rookie of the Year. What's up? If he wins Rookie of the Year, I don't think it's a luxury pick if he wins Rookie of the Year. And the Seahawks are good, and he's like good for the Seahawks, and it makes Russell Wilson's life a lot easier because they actually have a consistent running back who's like. Yeah, but really don't good you think Chris Carson could do I that too? That. Couldn't he make he makes Russell Wilson's life no, easier? No, I don't. That's why I would draft Jonathan Taylor because. I don't think Chris Carson can reach the heights that Marshawn Lynch did as a running back in Seattle in, in those Super Bowl era days. And I know the defense is very good, but their offense is good. A lot of the reason why their offense is really good is because of their dominant run game. And I think that Jonathan Taylor. Wouldn't you bring take that Zach back. Moss in the second round? I don't round think that Chris a, Carson. Like, wouldn't you take. No, because I think. Jo- no, because I think Jonathan Taylor is my number one running back. And I think he'd be worth the pick at that spot. But so, in terms of. It's something I would consider. Value, I'm not saying like, that it's something it, they need to do, but, you know, I'm just saying that. What if you would you take a guy like Epineza? Okay. We we rank we rank it differently. We have different rankings. We have different value. Well, I'm asking you how you, know. you value building the rest of this roster versus versus still attacking the position you want to attack in the first round with a player that you like, maybe not as much as Jonathan Taylor. I think the roster is pretty built. All right. I think that my, what I would say is, if this makes it any easier for you. I think if if with how much I like, uh, I'm forgetting his first name, Chin, Jeremy Chin. Mm-hmm. With, how, with how much I like him from Southern Illinois, if he's on the board for Seattle, I think that's the pick just because he could fit in at several spots for them. And we talked about that, I think, yesterday. So I think he'd be the pick easily just because of how much I like him. Um, so that'd be an intri- intriguing conversation. But I think if you're looking at O-line, you may as well look at at least in my eyes, and I know you wouldn't because you don't see Jonathan Taylor as the same player. But even J.K. Dobbins, or but the way I J. see John Andre Swift, Taylor. even a running back that I do like, or Edwards Hilaire. Yeah, but again, again, yeah, but I like. I think I like Taylor more than you like. You know, anyone, anyone else. I just really like him, so I think he's worth the twenty seventh pick in the draft because I think he can make an immediate impact and be. I think he can arguably be one of the best running backs in the in the league his first year. So. All right. Well, before we, I guess, wrap up this podcast, so one more, one more question for Tommy. 
Uh, when you look at the Minnesota Vikings, uh, do you think that maybe that your boy Dylan Mitchell is waiting in the wings that prevents them from taking a receiver around one? I think uh, you obviously have to see how the board goes, but if you can take a chop at a corner and one of the edges, either uh, Gross Matos, Chason, or, or Epineza even, I think that would be of higher priority to me than taking a receiver. Because I think that you could get... Um, you know, your boy Michael Pittman in the second round or a guy like Van Jefferson, who I like a lot. Um, and, and BC Johnson, I think, is a guy that they, obviously he was a seventh-round pick last year, but was, you know, surprising. I didn't know anything about him last year and, and carved out a nice role as their, their third receiver. Um, and I think this, as we've proved throughout talking about Oakland, San Francisco, um, you know, I think unless you can get one of those top three guys, and I don't think they should trade up into the top, you know, 10 or 15 to do that, I think you definitely need to get a corner, and right now you're, you know, um, you don't have another end up, up, up opposite of Daniel Hunter. I know uh, Odin Digbo or whatever Ifietti Odin Bigo has been, Probably yeah, Odin he's Digbo, been solid. Yeah. But you, you definitely need to get. He's coming on, and uh, yeah, Michael Pierce and Shamar Seven. You can go interior D line too, and there, there's a lot of holes on this team. I don't think. Um, you know, Adam Thielen is, is a hell of a receiver. You, are, I mean, you obviously lost Stephon Diggs, but I still think Adam Thielen's a number one when he's healthy. So I don't think it's as big of a hole as maybe it looks like. And, of course, you got D. Mitch Fair in the wings. And, of course, you got D. Mitch in the wings. Yeah. Uh, any, any final remarks, boys? No, I think that's, I think that's it for me. Um, I definitely uh, want to talk about some some tertiary edge guys in the in the in the you know maybe in, in a new pod in one of the next podcasts because I think there's when I looked at Highsmith I looked at some of the other guys in this class and I think there's some some good conversation to be had maybe that'll maybe that'll wait to the, the four way mock bring that out on the four way mock right on you stay skinny.